Psalm 114. Yet another song. We won't sing it. We'll study it together. But I trust you'll take this text that God has given us, rehearse it this week, find a copy or a presentation of the Lord is my salvation, maybe online and sing along, be reminded of what we're studying this morning in this great salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Years ago, we studied through the book of Exodus, which tells much of the story about the family of Jacob becoming a nation, receiving God's favor, being led out of bondage and all the way to the promised land. You can read about their complaining, their idolatry, their unbelief. It's not a flattering account of this chosen people. The story is long in Exodus. The narrative is carried along through numbers. And even then in the book of Joshua, we have that final entrance into the promised land. Our text today is like this little literary gem. It's, it's a short story or even less than that, a poem. This short little chorus that captures or recounts that whole story that unfolds in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. This chorus focuses really on one element, that being the majestic glory of God unveiled in the salvation of his people. Here is the theme of a, the song of Psalm 114. God's glory is on display in your salvation. God's glory is on display in your salvation. So we could say you are saved for God's glory. Oh, now there's, there's a lot more of the side effects of God doing this for his glory. Like we enjoy fullness of joy in his presence forevermore. Forgiveness of sins, righteousness that fits us for heaven. But ultimately, you are saved for God's glory. He redeemed you to be known as the God who saves. He forgives you so that he will be known as a God who is rich in mercy. He gave his son Jesus to live, die, and rise again so that he would be known as a God of love and perfect justice. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us so that he will be known as a God whose love is steadfast. And he shapes us in this life to be more and more like Jesus Christ so that he will be seen as the Lord who is our righteousness. God's glory is on display in your salvation. Now, how do we see this in Psalm 114? There are four parts of this song. And so I want us to walk through these four parts and then conclude with some application. A little different outline, perhaps, than we're used to, and especially in studying some of the letters. Not a lot of points and subpoints, just the the flow of this chorus. We sing some choruses, some of them biblical, like be exalted, O God, from the Psalms. And it's not a systematic theology. It's just kind of a, 
resting in a thought. So let's see this thought of our salvation, how it unfolded for the glory of God. We begin in verses 1 and 2. And I think we can summarize these verses with the heading, Remember when. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Remember when. You've done this before. I've told a story. Remember when we loaded up with the high school soccer team on a school bus to go to an away game, and one of the guys in the front of the bus started to feel sick? I won't tell the rest of the story, all right? Come over for dinner sometime, and maybe that's not the best time for the story either. Uh, We've all done that. We, we, We enjoy going back and remembering something. Remember when? We went camping, and as we set up the tent, the storm came in. Remember that road trip? Well, in this song, the psalmist does just that. Remember, God, by His Holy Spirit, used men to pen these words, but He used them, and they're just like us. And so He says, when? Remember when Israel went out from Egypt? I think we need to remember that it's good for us to keep telling this story of amazing grace. Maybe one of the first applications is pray that sometime in the course of this week, in some conversation, you could just insert that remembrance. Man, I I remember when I was lost. Isn't God good to rescue us? See how God might use the remembrance of your salvation for his glory this week. The psalmist is recounting this amazing story of rescue, but in such an abbreviated form that it's one of the shorter psalms in our songbook. But it reminds us at the very least that it's good for us to keep telling the story. We can do this in our conversations this week, telling how God is indeed kind to reach down and save us through Jesus. And of course, we do it when we gather together. We just sang, the grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And now I'm safe on this solid ground because the Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? We need, we need a recording of you singing this. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt has been paid, and the victory has been won. The Lord is my salvation. That's Psalm 114. Do you remember when God rescued you? The song begins with, remember when. But then it continues with verses 3 and 4. And I've had it, given these the heading, that was amazing. You see, you've done this too. Someone says, do you remember that time when? 
And before they get too far into that story, you jump right in and say, I do, that was awesome. I remember that. The psalmist is doing this for himself. Do you remember when Israel went out? Yes, that was amazing. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. This isn't just some kind of poetic language. Oh, it is, but it's describing real events. If you think back to the story, you probably have some recollection of those events. That was amazing. Let's see that amazing part for just a moment. The psalmist writes, the sea looked and fled. Exodus 14 would tell us about the Israelites. They just left Egypt at night, and they haven't gone very far, and they get to the water's edge, the sea, and they realize, well, that's a bit of a dead end. And before they can even recalculate another path, they realize the Egyptians have changed their minds from, here, take whatever you want, just just leave. God had so decimated Egypt that they just, they paid Israel to leave. But then they changed their minds. That rebellion and hate towards that God of Israel welled up within them, and they decide to chase after the Israelites. Well, the Israelites have come to the sea, realizing that's not going to work, and here come the Egyptians chasing them down. And now they know they're being hunted. And in that extended passage there, we hear that familiar call to worship in this language. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And in this rescue, when Israel went out of Egypt, the sea looked. They looked on this scenario, and and the idea is they're, they're responding to their creator. And the text of Exodus 14 says, God drove the sea back, and a wall of water was on the left and on the right. I've, I've seen this in some of the children's Bibles, and, and you just wish you could see something like this. It's just incredible to think of walls of water, and I want to know, is that like clear, like aquarium quality, you know, sight into that water? Just amazing. The sea just fled at the voice of God and stands up as these walls of water, and you know the story, they they cross on dry ground. And as they go out the other side, the Egyptians in their arrogance decide to race into the the valley of that dry land between the walls of water, and God says, enough. And that water relaxes into its normal position, drowning the Egyptian army. And it says the the Israelites on the other side saw the bodies wash up on shore and sang the song, the grace of God has reached to me. The Lord is my salvation. And Moses sang it with the weight of worship 
and awe. And then it says, the women pulled out their tambourines and all through the camp, that same song, kind of second verse, spread and it went from awe to just joy and celebration. Can you believe this? That was amazing. Then the psalmist jumps kind of to the end of the journey, 40 years later, and he says, the Jordan turned back. We do this often. Turn out of our driveway, go down Harvard, hit Washington. I forgot my Bible. Or I forgot my uniform for soccer. I for, what, okay, turn back. Go the other way. Well, in the account in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites have come to the Jordan River. Now it's the second time. The first time they sent spies in the land, and in fear at the spies' report, they refused to obey God and enter the land. 38 more years go by. Now they've come again to the Jordan River, and this time, by grace, they're ready to cross the river. And so as soon as the priests set foot in the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as the psalmist says, the Jordan turned back. Here's what Joshua 3 said about the process. The water coming down the river rose and stood up in a heap, cutting off any water flowing below. So obviously, if you stop the river right here, that eventually is going to keep flowing and it's gone, just leaves a muddy riverbed. But the language of the Bible is coming down from the north, the water stopped and stood up in a heap. It kept flowing and it just made this mountain of water. So kids, if you have a slow afternoon this week, just try to build a mountain of water. Get some buckets, fill them up in the kitchen sink and go to the living room and... <laughs> Oh, a couple of eyes, like, no, it's too late, Pastor. You already told them, like, <laughs> there's no going back on this, like the Jordan. Try it outside, all right? That's the official word. That's the church statement, all right? <laughs> Try to heap up water outside in the driveway. It, it just, that's not normal. That's not even scientific or natural. That's not even the way God created things to work. But once in a while... He chooses to do whatever he wants with his creation. The water stood up in a heap. And once again, mind you, another generation who may not even remember or weren't alive for that first crossing have now seen this miraculous display of power again and got to the other side and looked back and said, that was amazing. The sea fled the Jordan turned back, and the psalmist adds, the mountains and hills skipped. This seems to be a reference to Exodus chapter 19, when Mount Sinai shook and trembled in a massive earthquake to reveal the glory of God as he was unveiling specifically the relationship that he would have with this family of Jacob, now large enough to be a nation. 
And he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. But what's going to surround this relationship is holiness. You will be holiness to me. And to communicate the awe and as R.C. Sproul would say, the trauma of holiness. God thunders in the clouds and shakes the mountain and insists that if any man or beast even touches the mountain, they will be struck dead. To remind them that this is no small matter to be welcomed into the holy presence of God. And so the massive mountain shook as easily as the little legs of a lamb and goat when they leap into the air. It was amazing. And the people would not soon forget the lesson of Sinai. Hebrews even reminds us that it was indeed a moment of terror. The sea fled The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. There's a lesson implied here. Just keep getting better at singing about amazing grace that saved a wretch like you once were. Do the remember when part and get to that amazing part. Get to that point where, yes, I remember. It's a historical fact. It happened. I remember that. But then go back and relive that joy. I think this is why David said in the Psalms, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That wonder. Let my salvation be fresh with joy Just like when I walked through the sea and those walls of water and put my hand on that wall of water, marveling that it was standing up straight. Let me me just remember that joy of being rescued. Let Let me remember the bodies of the Egyptians washing up on the shore and think, why is it that God let me walk through on dry land? Why am I safe on the solid rock? It's amazing grace. Now look at verses 5 and 6, which we could summarize with the question, what was that all about? The song begins with, remember when? And then a verse that captures, that was amazing. And then a little bit of a moment of kind of thoughtful retreat where now we, we ask the question, yeah, what, what was that really all about? Why such a dramatic response by mountains and rivers and seas? And so the psalmist asks, what ails you, O sea, that you flee? We could continue the verb. What ails you, O Jordan, that you turn back and stand up in a heap, as Joshua said? What ails you, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs? Four questions 
They're rhetorical, meaning the psalmist knows the answer, and so do we. But, but he wants to prolong the wait for the answer. He wants to keep inserting a little more evidence to what we already know is coming, but it just builds literary suspense. You see, when you look back over this song, you realize that God has not been mentioned yet in the song. Now, we know the story. God brought them out of Egypt. God parted the sea. God provided manna in the wilderness. God brought water from a rock. God defeated their enemies. God did all these. We, we know that. But the psalmist has been careful not to mention God. So careful that we see his intentionality. In verse 2, when the writer intentionally skips God's name and jumps right to a pronoun. Well, a pronoun is supposed to have an antecedent, something that comes before, right? And instead of just saying God over and over, we, we would say God did this, and then he did that, and then he did that. We don't have the antecedent, the, the name that comes first. The psalmist said, remember when Israel came out of Egypt? Judah became his sanctuary. Well, if you didn't know the Bible, you'd say, whose sanctuary? Israel became his dominion. Whose dominion? The sea looked and fled. From who? The Jordan turned back. Why? The mountains skipped like rams. That is amazing, but what's going on here? And so we ask the sea, and we ask the Jordan, and we ask the mountains, why that dramatic response? What's going on here? And now the author is ready to reveal the cause. What is the ultimate cause of this great exodus when Israel went out? What is the cause of Seas and rivers parting and mountains trembling. What caused this radical response of creation itself to the Creator? And now the answer. If verses 5 and 6 ask the question, what was that all about? Then verses 7 and 8 answer that question in a word. Glory. Glory. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. This song, this psalm is about the glory of God. So the purpose of the song is to call us to worship, but it's worship that's defined in a unique format, a unique presentation. It's not the worship of song, necessarily. It's not the worship of our obedience. It's the worship of trembling. Tremble, O earth. This word tremble has the idea of being twisted up in pain. So it should come as no surprise that this word for tremble is associated in the Hebrew language with the process of bearing children, the pain of childbirth. The idea here isn't so much 
the physical pain, have pain all the earth. No, it's the idea of being so overtaken by something that it's all-consuming. I don't know that my wife was watching the television up in the corner, right? Seeing how the ball team was doing. I don't suppose she noticed whether the doctor had combed his hair or whether he had just rushed in there. And whatever your experience was, there is such an overcoming, such a almost paralysis by one dominant thing, that being the pain of this process, that nothing else is really on the radar. Tremble, O earth. Be overtaken by one thing. And what is that one thing that causes us to tremble? The psalmist repeats it twice, so we won't mistake it for anything less than what he says we should tremble at. What is it? It's there in the text. God's presence. Now, we could unfold that presence, and we're about to, with a few blanks to fill in on your notes. But any one of those blanks you fill in are only valid answers to the question, at what should we tremble? They're only valid if we see them as the presence of God. I would submit to you, we, we, we're not being called to tremble at his love. We're not being called to tremble at his salvation. We're not being called to tremble at his judgment individually. Rather, we tremble at the presence, at God himself. So look back over these verses with me and see how God has revealed himself, at least in part, in this song. God has revealed himself first in love. Verse 1, when Israel went out from Egypt. You see, Israel had God's favor. Egypt did not. Deuteronomy 7 is clear. Why did God choose Israel out of all the nations of the earth? There is no good reason that we can give, but the text is clear. It is only because God loved them. God has revealed himself in salvation. Israel went out. That's quite an abbreviation. In our, in our human wisdom, we would almost call that an understatement. After all, the whole book of Exodus... A good portion of Numbers and Joshua are all about this story of how they came out of Egypt and got to the promised land. And here he just uses one phrase, they went out. That's the story of salvation. That's Israel crying out to God in Exodus 2. God raising up a deliverer in Moses, implementing the ten plagues, which even the Egyptians said, that's but the finger of God at work against us. It's the rich foreshadowing of a fuller atonement to come with that deadly night of Passover. It's the loading up on the wealth of the Egyptians. It's walking right out of centuries of slavery into the freedom that God had promised them. Went out is the gracious work of God's rescue so great a rescue that it would become the foundation for foreshadowing a fuller rescue to come, ultimately from sin, 
through Jesus the rescuer. So in the words went out, God is revealing himself in salvation. But Israel stands in contrast to Egypt. They went out from Egypt, from a people of a strange language. And in Egypt, God revealed himself in judgment. The very mention of Egypt forces us to think not only of the worship of the Israelites, but of the rebellion of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Those Egyptians who survived the mass drowning at the sea would have ridden home only to bury their firstborn son, only to begin to try to rebuild a world empire that had been ruined by God's power. God's glory is seen in his judgment on sin. God has revealed himself in love, in salvation, but also in judgment. And then we see God revealing himself in faithfulness. He calls this people first the house of Jacob. That's just a family tree. That's just a lineage of people. But we soon learn in verse 7 that he is the God of Jacob. Now, it's one thing for Jacob to say, he's our God. It's another thing for God to say, that's my people. There is a sense of belonging here. Here, God has revealed himself in faithfulness. This is the recognition of God's covenant of steadfast love with the family of Jacob. You're not just any old household. You're the people of God. And God will be faithful to his covenant. And so much is learned about covenant in this relationship of a people coming out of Egypt, meeting their God at Sinai, and imperfectly following him. It helps us understand how we imperfectly follow, but we praise God for the new covenant in Jesus Christ where even our part in the covenant has been completely secured by the righteousness of Christ. Finally, we see God revealing himself in power. All the earth is told to tremble at the presence of the Lord, who just happens to be able to call water from a rock. And as dramatic as that sounds, it almost pales in comparison to stopping rivers and dividing seas, and making entire mountains shake. Now it's just, oh, just have water come from a rock. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, the presence of the God of the Jacob, of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. You can read of it in Numbers chapter 20. When the people in the desert are thirsty and need water, and God tells Moses, this is not an issue. Though it completely unsettles the people of Israel, it's not an issue to God. So may I remind you that if there's something in life this week that is completely unsettling you, that you come back to Numbers 20 and realize God is not the God of being unsettled. He's the God whose very presence is 
dramatically and traumatically glorious. He shakes mountains and stops rivers and divides oceans. Whatever it is that's unsettling you is not a big deal to him in the sense of, oh no, what do I do? It is a big deal to him because he cares for you. He's the God of all power. And so in this Psalm 114, see God in his display of love, of salvation, of judgment, a display of faithfulness. He reveals himself in power and then be overwhelmed by wonder. Keep going back to that God and and say, do you remember when? Oh, that was amazing. What was that all about? It was about the glory of God and how he wants to display it through your life this week. So think of it. God, God might lead you to a dead end that terrifies you, has you looking over your shoulder, figuring out, how's this going to work? But then he wants you to hear his voice saying, would you just be still and know that I am God? And just tremble, be overtaken by one thing, and it's not pursuing Egyptians, and it's not impossible seas, it's the presence of God who is speaking to you in that moment, just wait. Let me do this. Your God rescues slaves and makes them sons. Your God can make a highway right through the sea. Your God can make an oasis of rest in the desert of our need. Your God can turn a rock of impossibility into a fountain of hope. We need to tremble at the presence of this God. In conclusion, here's what it means for us. One, God has rescued you. God has rescued you. Now I'm speaking to those who are repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus today for the righteousness we need for heaven, the forgiveness of sins, and for everlasting life. Maybe you can't say with confidence that Jesus has rescued you. The Bible would say to you this, here's the solution. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Call out for rescue from your sin to the one who is mighty to save and do it now. God has rescued you. And we know that he has rescued you for his glory, specifically to make his holiness known and to make his rule known. Now, where do we get this application? It's back there in verse 2. Israel went out. They were saved. They were rescued. To what end? Judah became his sanctuary, his holy place. You see, in Exodus 19, God says to Israel, you will be to me a holy nation. There's a direction there. 
Why did God save them? So that they would be to God an expression of holiness, not their own. He would make them holy. He would provide that perfect righteousness ultimately in Jesus Christ and his perfect law keeping. We are designed for God's glory and part of how we do that is by being holy. Israel went out and became holiness to the Lord, a sanctuary. God is revealing his holiness in you. By living holy this week, you do two things. You reveal that God is a God of holiness. It's a perfect standard. And sinners have fallen short. But by the very nature of you being one of those sinners who has fallen short, you're testifying to people, come, meet the God who can transform you, who knows everything you've ever done, but is ready to forgive. Like Noah, Hebrews says, who built an ark, yes, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. You live in holiness and you're announcing to all that there is a holy God that you're accountable to. I'm living his way. Will you? Israel, or Judah, became his sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. God made it clear at Sinai that you are a holy nation. In other words, God was going to be king. They were going to be the citizens. He was going to rule over them in a benevolent rule, a good rule. God would display that rule in the people of Israel. Oh, there were some laws that they weren't even sure why they were keeping them. They just knew that they were supposed to be picturing to all those nations around them that we obey the God of heaven. Maybe they had more understanding than me on why you couldn't boil a mother goat in her, or the kid in the mother's milk. Maybe they understood that better than I did. Maybe they understood why you shouldn't blend certain fibers in the garments. But if their mind was as feeble as mine, they may have thought, why are we doing this? And there was a really clear, precise answer. One that you as parents should be comfortable with with your children at times. Because I said so. Israel became his sanctuary where God would make his holiness known to a wicked world. And Israel became his dominion where God would make his benevolent rule known. The world should look at you and your lack of complaining, your confidence of faith, and understand what it is to trust someone who rules perfectly. Is your life modeling submission to a holy God? Are you God's sanctuary and the place of God's dominion? You see, God has rescued you to make his holiness and his rule known to all the earth. So through his church, he displays this glory of his holiness, this glory of his authority, and the church makes it known. It's seen. The world takes notice. 
It's our witness. May all the earth tremble because the church has first trembled. God wanted Canaanites to tremble at his glory, but first he wanted his people to tremble at Mount Sinai. They had the inside scoop on the glory of God. They were supposed to tremble. And Hebrews 12 says they did. That was God's means of the whole earth being filled with his glory by first pouring it into his people. The means of all the earth trembling before the Lord, but because first his church trembles. But do we have time for that when there's so many other things that are going to fill our week? Your trembling affects your appetite for missions. Maybe there's someone here that's not supposed to be in Kansas City. But because we haven't trembled at Sinai, we really have no hope of being used for all the earth to tremble. Your trembling determines how you spend your life for the kingdom of God. How you view your vocation, how you view your kids in your home. Are they means by which you make the glory of God known and advance his kingdom? Or are we stuck in such a routine that it's just making them say their manners and I just plug away at the office? And No, trembling will give you a bigger vision for everyday life. You won't soon forget a mountain shaking in your presence, water standing up in a heap, seas parting and you walk on dry ground. And then a God saying, I've done all this for you because I want you to make me known in this earth. Your trembling determines whether or not you will build a relationship with your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. So if you haven't reached out to those neighbors, Psalm 114 is telling us why. We're not saying to each other, remember when? Oh, that was amazing. But what really was that all about? It's about the glory of God. You're going to wake up tomorrow, facing the week. What's it all about? It's about the glory of God. And, and some of you are going to travel and go off to work. And what, what's that going to be about? The glory of God. And you're going to have those conversations with your toddler, about why you can't do that. What's that all about? The glory of God. You're going to go to the doctor and hear bad news. Might get a speeding ticket somewhere. You might find out a friend across the country passed away. What is that all about? What is going on in all this living and breathing that we're doing? It's about the glory of God. God's glory is on display in your salvation. God wants you to be holy and obedient so that the world will see how he manifests his glory in the transformation of sinners and in the advancing of his kingdom. For as Peter says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you remember that? Was it amazing? 
Now just link it to the glory of God and say, ah, now I know why. Now I know what this is all about. God's glory is on display in my salvation. Thank you, God, for Psalm 114. Now I know what to do this week. So, Heavenly Father, help us. Help us by this, your word to us, unfolding your glory. And while we may just not be able to comprehend seas opening, mountains quaking, and and rivers standing up on a heap, by your mercy and grace, we do know what it is to be brought out of darkness into marvelous light. To come out of the grave of the deadness of our sins into the life, sweet, abundant life in Jesus. So thank you for saving us. And through our salvation and through our lives of living sacrifices, may you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glorified in all the earth. Amen.